When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking One for the Team. I'm your host, Tom Kane, and in this podcast, I'll be talking to individuals from the sports and fitness industry and beyond. We'll talk to the experts in their field and aim to provide a 360-degree insight into their journey in the industry, find out what sports and fitness means to them, and the impact it can have on mental health. Today, I'm joined by Harry Forster, a professional footballer for Watford FC, and one of the brightest talents to graduate from the academy system at Watford in recent years. We'll talk in depth about his journey through the football academy system, the trials and tribulations of becoming a professional athlete, and some of his biggest inspirations in sport. So without further ado, here is Talking One for the Team with Harry Forster. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. How you getting on? Yeah, no, doing really well. Doing really well. How about you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Just kind of plugging away, really, during lockdown. But I'm just going to give the audience uh, a little insight into into who you are. Today, I'm talking with one of the brightest talents to graduate from uh, the Watford Academy system in recent years. Professional footballer and former school colleague as well, Harry Forster. I've actually had the opportunity, and I won't say pleasure, of playing against Harry at charity football <laughs> a few years back. Uh, and to say it was a humbling experience is probably putting it lightly. But yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on. And yeah, probably the most frequently asked question in the UK How's lockdown treating you at the moment? I've, I've been pretty lucky to be fair, obviously with the football. Nothing, apart from the first lockdown where everything had stopped. Uh, yeah, no, I've been quite lucky to, to carry on doing what I love and nothing's really changed for me, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, football was probably one of the things that was most sought after to come back so quickly, right? I mean, we were all kind of lost without it. I know I was tearing what little hair I have left kind of out of my head, trying, <laughs> to, trying to think of what to do. So, um, so yeah, I think everyone's very happy. Back in March, were you, where were you playing at that time? So I was I was on loan at St Albans in the Conference South um, from Watford. Went there in January uh, just to get some men men's experience under my belt. And yeah, that's that's where I was. Got a few good games under my belt, and then unfortunately came to came to a halt in March with the lockdown. Yeah, and the football for non-league did it come back at the same time as like the League Twos and upwards? Or uh, so I think I think it was the. Conference, I think no, I think it was League Two where that's when they could still play the playoffs and stuff. League Two onwards, but down it was just the points points per game basis when it where where they did relegation and promotion. Well, I think we're all glad that it's back now and it's given us a little bit of sanity and hope at the moment. But yeah, as mentioned in like the conversations and chat we had prior to to recording, this podcast kind of came back from me after being on furlough from my current role in an advertising sales role. I wanted to utilise my passion for all things sports and fitness and speak to people from in and around the industry whilst drawing on my experience in using sports and fitness to combat mental health issues after the passing of my father. So I wanted to chat to you to kind of discuss your experience in football, the academy infrastructure in the UK, where you're at now with your career, where you see it going and how lockdown and the pandemic has impacted your experience with sport. But before we start, keeping with the name of the show, Talking One for the Team, 
I'm asking every guest this question at the start of the show. Which sports team has inspired you the most from any sport and any era and why? I think for me, I think people would, would expect a football answer, but you know, I'm, I'm a massive uh, lover of all sports. And I think the main one for me would be the 2012 Ryder Cup Miracle at Medina. Where nice. Obviously, the, the European team came back on the last day of the singles to finish off the Yanks, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I was expecting a football team. It caught me <laughs> off guard a little bit. But what, what was it called? The Miracle at, Mir- Miracle at Medina. Yeah, Paul, yes, uh, was yes. it that? Ian Poulter just absolutely rejuvenated the cho- troops and, yeah, just, just brought it back. They were, that, so I can't you, remember the point score at the time, but he was the one, him and uh, McElroy mainly, that, that got the points on the board and, and started the comeback. So you're a big golf fan? Yeah, big golf fan, big golf fan. That's what, to be fair, that's what, when, when I was away from football during the lockdown, that's what kept me sane as well, out on the golf course every day. Yeah, I know from your experience with the family and stuff, I know your cousins and your, and your older brother are also big into their golf, aren't they? That's and, the um, one, that's who I was playing with most of lockdown, yeah. Yeah, so you're out like rice lip sort of way, there's a couple of courses out there and I think we were all kind of hoping this lockdown that they were going to maybe keep the golf ranges yeah. open would have been nice, but unfortunately not. But yeah, I wasn't expecting that, I was expecting a football on. So <laughs> that's the first surprise of the, the podcast. I thought, I, up, thought I I'd mix already. it up a bit, I thought I'd mix it up a bit. <laughs> what other kind of sports are you into? So you like your golf, obviously, your football? You know what? I've been playing a lot of pool, pool as well recently. We got a pool table at uh, at Watford, and just just every, every day playing playing all the boys, getting really big into that. And to be like, as a kid, I played like every every sport at school, and just just really enjoyed all of them. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm also a big fan of pool. Probably one of the biggest reasons to want the pubs back open is to get <laughs> pool tables. I think so. Uh, That's the one. So yeah, we'll have to get a game in one day. So what? What was the football team you supported kind of growing up? I'm a Leeds fan. Yeah, Leeds yeah, fan. Yeah. I thought you might have said Carlisle because <laughs> I know that your family's got a lot of connections up yeah, north. Uh, both to be and fair. That's a long way north. Yeah, Leeds and Carlisle. Josh is Josh. My brother's obviously a massive uh, Carlisle fan after my dad, but I take after my mum on the on the Leeds side. How are you finding Bielsa's uh, resurgence? Unbelievable! Um, but he's he's just transformed the whole the whole club, hasn't he? He's taken you know championship mid level championship players and turned them all into into very good established Premier League players now. Yeah, I mean, I think this season they've been a bit of a breath of fresh air mm. um, to the Premier League. It's a huge club, right? It's a one-city club. So mm. Leeds, all of Leeds is just centred around Leeds Football Club. And obviously, when I was growing up, they were a huge team. They yeah. were a top four Champions League semi-finalists. Mm. Um, I mean, you had who? You had Harry Kuehl, Mark Faduka, all them kind of legends for mm. Leeds. Funny um, you say Harry Kuehl, they're actually named after him. You're named after <laughs> yeah, him? Yeah, my mom, oh, my God. yeah. Like I said, my mum's a massive Leeds fan. It was out of him. Obviously, Harry after Harry Kuhl or Lucas after Lucas Radaby. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. And I mean, yeah. is that where the influence for the hair's coming along as well? It's looking a bit longer than <laughs> it was back in the day. Kuhl Barnet now, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, no, just named after Harry Kuhl, yeah. Oh, nice. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we're going we're gonna to come on to talk about Harry Kuhl a little bit more, I think, later on in the show. Mm-hmm. But um, So you supported Leeds. Who was your favourite footballer and like your idol kind of growing up then? Well, your time Leeds Leeds would have been in the Prem, but as, as I was growing up, I didn't really see them too much in the Prem. They were more League One Championship at the time. But my idol growing up, well, it's got to be Messi. It's got to yeah. be Messi. Just the, the way he plays, you know, I, tr- I try and emulate my game on his and Eden Hazard's to a degree, but no, just the way he dribbles past players so easily, it's, it's got to be Messi, number one. So there's there's no point in me asking who the goat is then, really, is there? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's difficult, but for me, it's got to be messy. Do you think he's going to leave in the summer? I mean, his contract's up, isn't it? I just couldn't imagine him at another team. I just couldn't. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, 
I would love to see him in the Prem. Probably yeah. not good news for every other Prem team, man. I can only see him going to City. If he goes there, it's, it's, it's game over. It's, it's game I think over. It's already game over at the moment. What is it, 21 <laughs> on the trot? Yeah, I mean, it's quite scary the thought of him coming to the Prem. Mm. I think that would be interesting to see because obviously the counter-argument to him being the GOAT is Ronaldo's done it in all the other leagues, that's right? It, he's he's done it, it yeah. across Europe. So I think it would be interesting to see but yeah, I mean, not a surprise, not as a surprising answer, I guess. Uh, your favourite footballer, <laughs> Lionel Messi. So I wanted to kind of start off this conversation with talking about your kind of journey through the academy system up until now. So when did you kind of start playing football? Was it always in the front of mind to become a professional footballer? And maybe just tell the audience if they don't know you, what Harry Forster's about as a player, what position, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I started off. You know, I was, I was probably most most young boys and girls in, in about re- reception, I think I was. Well, obviously, I'd, you know, I've been kicking the ball around the house and stuff like that, my older brothers and stuff. But I first joined the team, I think I was about five, five or six at the time. Just the primary school one, one of my best mates, Michael, his dad, Steve, was setting up a team in the local area, Bessemer Park Rangers. I don't know if you've heard of it. And yeah, just in the right of the and he, uh, he was setting up a team for all the boys and, and girls in the local area. And, yeah, just just from there, obviously playing in the playground every day, and that's that's obviously where my my love for football started. I'm interested to know what sort of age kind of Watford came around, and I guess when it became more than just a hobby. I mean, right. you, can, you can talk us through those early years first, yeah. and if there were other clubs interested, and just tell us like as a young boy going through the academy system, how that experience was. Yeah, so obviously I started at I think it was around five, playing for the local team, Bessemer Park Rangers, until. So we played at a tournament when I was eight. It was actually on my eighth birthday, actually, for, for Bessemby. It was at the Harefield United tournament. I was playing up front at the time and I was banging in the goals at this tournament. It was a Watford scout who came up to who came up to my coach, Steve, at the time and just said, yeah, he was really interested. Obviously, I was, I was scoring a lot of goals and then I spoke to my dad and uh, that's where the ball kind of got rolling with on the Watford side of things. I started training with them. Initially, I think they wanted me to go to the development centre when I was eight um, and then they wanted me to join the academy when I was nine the year after, but I only found this out like a couple of years ago. My mum and dad actually said no without telling me just because they wanted me to keep enjoying my football, obviously with my mates playing every day and yeah, keep enjoying it rather than going to the academy system so young and it being, you know, not, not more pressure, but they just wanted to avoid that totally. And then, yeah, literally the next year, they were just like, just really wanted me to join the academy. So I went on trial and then signed for the academy as a 10 year old and then obviously stayed there ever since. It's interesting to hear your parents' point of view about wanting you to enjoy enjoy mm. the game. And I think that's something that's quite, well, it's obviously worked out for the best for you sitting here 10, 11 years later. But I think there's something in the modern game which can take away that enjoyment and that fun factor from young kids wanting to, to play and football just for the fun that's, of it. Yeah, that's that's never left me at all. So from, from the moment I started kicking the ball, I'm still you know loving it. So I'm still doing it now. I'm absolutely loving it. Because I think that extra pressure, there's so much pressure, I guess, in society on young people now anyway, more than when I was growing up. You've got the social media influencers. Yeah, I see it yeah. with my with my nephews. They what they love their football. Absolutely obsessed with it. They're kind of on the cusp of like academies at West Ham and stuff at the moment. Mm. But it just it, for me, it's mad that they're all grown up and they've got the phones and they've got the Instagram and they've yeah, got yeah, yeah. YouTube, yeah. left, right, and centre, and all this comparison. So I think mm. for you, growing up and having that kind of freedom to enjoy the football, it's obviously paid its dividends, right? Mm. That's the thing. I was probably the last kind of generation really growing up without without the Instagram without the Snapchat without the mm-hmm. you know Twitter as, as a young boy and without all that I suppose pressure yeah it does, it does add a lot of pressure all the social media so yeah I'm 
you know, lucky in that regard that I, I grew up without it and was out, you know, on the streets in the park kicking a ball about with your mates rather than glued to the glued to your Snapchat and Instagram. Yeah, I mean, some of the streets my nephews have on their Snapchats is ridiculous. I don't <laughs> understand it all, so I'm going. I'm probably showing my age a little bit there. But um, so you were signed by Watford at ten, right? Is that correct? To to the academy, yeah. Uh, I mean, from my experience growing up, loved football. Knew pretty early on it was not going to be something that I pursued like long term. It was something that would be a hobby for me. I'm interested to know what sort of age that kind of penny dropped for you. Kind of family influences with that, family support. I mean, you went to you went to a good school like I did. Talk us through that for that age from I don't know ten, eleven up till maybe sixteen or so. Tying in with that, I think it was pretty much when I left school to go and play football full time, which was as a sixteen year old when I accepted my scholarship. So yeah, going to a good school in Cardinal Vaughan, that's when I had to make a difficult decision whether, well, I say difficult, it was easy for me, but for my for my family, weighing up the decision whether to stay at Cardinal Vaughan and do my A-levels full-time or, you know, leave at 16 and go straight into being a scholar and playing football every day. And obviously still doing education on the side as a backup, but for football, that's pretty much when the penny dropped where I was like, listen, if I knuckle down now, this is where I could make a career for myself and, you know, do what I want to do full-time as a way of life yeah so I was 16. 16 and you kind of touched upon there I guess having those qualifications outside of football I wanted to kind of ask about any like contingency plans as we've spoken about you went to a good school I know you had your, your cousins and your brothers have been to that school as well and they've all gone on and done A-levels all gone to university so I'm sure there was pressure from maybe not pressure but it's, it, it, it's a big risk I think taking that yeah. jump right because yeah. you talked about getting your scholarship at 16 there's a stat out there something like I think it's 98% of footballers who are scholars at 16 are out of football completely at 21 which is nuts so I wanted to ask about that process of leaving school going and doing the academy and talk to me a little bit about the education and support from I guess the club as well what did that look like in terms of contingency is there because I'm sure you have plenty of friends and former players that you've played with who are now out of football Mm. Not everyone makes it, right? So I'm interested to see what's in place to support the people that aren't going to make it. So yeah, tell me a little bit around that. So yeah, no, the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association, are brilliant. So they set up, you know, loads of qualifications that you can do. The main one being the the BTEC in sport and exercise, which you do on the side of being a scholar, and also MVQ. Right? But the thing that mainly stuck out for me was the coaching badges that you do on the side. So my contingency plan really is after football, when I'm finished, whatever age that might be, hopefully I'll have a really long career, but I'd love to stay in the game, love to stay coaching, which is something I've been looking into a lot recently. So I've done my level one and level two with the PFA. I did that as a scholar at Watford, which they were great with. And yeah, I'd I'd love to stay in the game and keep doing that on my side. That's nice to hear because I personally feel that these big clubs, I mean, Watford's kind of in and out of the premiership over the last 10 years, but these big clubs, there's so much money in the game. I think they have a duty of care. Obviously, the rewards are so high uh, and the riches are so vast for the few that do make it. But I think there has to be a duty of care because a lot of these kids are picked up maybe as early as the age of three now in the modern game. And they're brought all the way through for 15 years of their life and then they can be let go. I think it's important that they have that kind of support system around them because I can imagine, I mean, I lost my dad nearly six years ago now. And for me, that was something that was completely out of my control. A relationship that obviously had developed over 20 years. And I can imagine the parallels in the relationship you built with a club, right? That's something that is very comforting to you. And that's like a secure, safe space or a safe environment. Yeah. And if that was ripped away at 18, 19, and you had nothing to fall back on, 
You yeah. can see why kids and teenagers are going down the wrong path if they don't have that support system in place. So Definitely, it's good to yeah. hear that from Watford's point of view, it was something, and the PFA are doing things to, mm-hmm. to kind of counteract that. It's, it's such a ruthless game. When I accepted my scholarship, like I just spoke about, I'm the only player now from that cohort who's still at Watford. And even from a couple of years ago, it's just such a cutthroat business. You know, you've got to just want it so badly just to make it through. I mean, that's quite a damning... I mean, it's not a statistic, but it is. Yeah. Well, it's like you said earlier, the, what is it, the 98% from accepting your scholarship to completely being out of football by the age of 21. And those stats in themselves, there's loads of them out there. Those are the things that properly motivate me to keep doing it and to keep standing out and to keep striving to become a better player. Yeah, and I, I think that the position you're in now is kind of, I guess, testament to the mentality and the drive you have and the sacrifices that you would have had to make, I guess, yeah. in those teenage yeah. years. I mean, yeah. growing up in your teenage years, there's always those temptations, go out to your mates, mm. go and have a couple of beers, et cetera, et cetera. And, that, and that's why, I, you know, I've got such a strong family behind me and my mates at school. The friends I've had from Cardinal Vaughan are still my best mates now and probably the main part of that is for them being the ones not to be you know, trying to encourage me out to the parties when I'm 16 and 15 at school with them. But they're the ones saying, no, keep knuckling down with Watford because that's, that's what you want to be. You want to be a professional footballer. And that's the, those are the sacrifices that you've got to make. Yeah, I think you just hit the nail right on the head. So your friendship group from school and it sounds like your family were those real strong influences keeping you mm. on the straight and narrow that's in, those, in those really like kind of key years, I guess. Mm. So I've always um, had my head screwed on and everything in that regard. You know, I've always kind of, and I have made them sacrifices myself, but it's brilliant to be able to, you know, get that reassurance from my friends and family that just to keep me on the straight and narrow. Yeah, for sure. So you cut your teeth in the academy, 16 years of age, you'd left school. How old were you when you signed the first professional contract? And uh, kind of describe to the audience what that feeling's like, because as you mentioned earlier, getting that professional contract to be in, being a professional footballer is something probably the vast majority of kids, I know I did, dream of becoming, right? You're living the dream. Yeah. So tell me about that kind of, that feeling. Is it huge gratification? Is it just relief? I don't know. You, you explain a little it's bit around that. Really difficult to explain because... It was kind of a bittersweet one for me, actually, because I was 18 at the time. We were second-year scholars. We were all getting our decisions on the same day, literally meetings one after the other. So we go into the room, we're all waiting in the waiting area and literally go in one by one. You have your time slots in with the academy manager and your under-18s manager at the time. Uh, How many was it? It was about 10 of us, I think, in my age. And this is why it was so bittersweet because we were going in one by one. I was actually the last one to get my decision and everyone was coming out saying, no, I didn't being let go, being let go, being let go. And it was only two of us out of, I think, 10 of us who were given professional contracts, which is why it was so bittersweet. So these, these, at the end of the day, these are my best mates, ones that I've been playing football with for years and years and over this two-year scholarship period, playing with them every day, going to school with them. So to hear them telling me that they were letting go and I wouldn't really be seeing much of them again, that was really hard for me. But, you know, once I got back in my car, rang my family immediately, that's when the emotion probably started pouring out for me and I was, I don't know, not relief, but just so, just an overwhelming feeling that, oh my God, they're going to offer me a professional contract and be, you know, getting paid pretty much to do what I love is just an incredible feeling, yeah. The pinnacle of my of my footballing career, just that, you know, <laughs> just being told you're going to be a professional footballer, yeah. I can imagine it being like very overwhelming and it's it's nice to hear you kind of talk so openly about it's a bittersweet feeling because there's people that you've grown up with and you know you've all got the same dream. I'm, I'm sure you probably yeah. sh- talked yeah. about it on those coach journeys. You talked about it in the locker rooms. That's exactly it. 
What was their next steps? I mean, you don't need to go into detail with like each player, but are most of them in football or most of them gone down to lower leagues? What's their kind of pathways look like? Uh, so that's the thing. So they would have, you know, probably most of us have agents at the time and that's where the agents do their work and get you on trials to other clubs, which pretty much all of them did go into the trials for other clubs. But from that cohort, I think there's only one other player who's still a professional at the moment at, at another club, so out of them 10, yeah. So, so you signed your first professional contract. What was the first thing you bought with that paycheck? <laughs> uh, I can't remember at first. It was probably it was probably a pair of trainers. You know, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big sneakerhead, and yeah, I love my trainers. It was probably a pair of trainers. Well, I'm glad you didn't buy another pair of boots. I'm sure you got plenty of them anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd have to slip that question in there. So moving on, you're in the Watford Academy. You've, you've signed a professional contract. Things are going well. Are you training with the first team? Are you training with under twenty threes? Talk us through like that for, after signing that contract. How does it work? So you have the under eighteens, under twenty threes, and the first team. So once you sign your professional contract, you're into the under twenty threes team, and that's where you're trying to work your way into the first team. You train with the first team, and that's the thing. The more you progress in football from sixteen to under eighteens, there's a gap. Eighteen to twenty three is a big gap. Twenty three is the first thing is the biggest gap you'll find in football. I mean, it's just about bridging that gap and yeah, train with them, keep improving. But initially, from the professional contract, you're into the twenty threes team. Was Harry Kuehl, I mean, your namesake, was was he the coach at the time for the under twenty threes? So that that was uh, brilliant for me as well. So it wasn't when I was a twenty three; it was when I was an under eighteen. It was when I was a second year scholar. He was a under twenty threes manager, and I was playing with him quite a bit. And he was the one who gave my debut. Wicked. I think it was at the KC Stadium against Hull. And yeah, no, it was brilliant. I never I never told him. Didn't risk telling him. I didn't risk the boys finding out because they would have absolutely battered me if they found that yeah. out. Well, uh, well, now the whole world's going to know after yeah. this pod, mate. So, so yeah. you'll probably get some stick. Um, how was he as a coach? I know he's at Oldham now, I think. Is mm. that right? Yeah, he's at Oldham now, Lee, too. Doing well there. Doing well there. You're a right winger, is, is, is that correct? Yeah, right, right, left side. Either side doesn't bother me. Either yeah. side. So you played similar position. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could say he was one of the one of the big Leeds Leeds idols and yeah. icons of the last twenty years. Champions League winner. What yeah. was he like as a coach? Did he give you a lot of good advice? He mentioned he gave you a debut. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, no, he was an unbelievable coach to be fair. He's one of them fellows who just you know, if someone just walks in the room and, and they've just got that aura about him, it like listen, he's a he's a Champions League winner, he's he's done everything in football. Got however many caps for Australia, brilliant player. He's given me probably the most simple bit of advice, but it's always going to stick for me for the rest of my career. And coming from someone who's played the exact same position as me, it was just mm-hmm. when you're in that final third, just be selfish. So for wingers and strikers, whoever, your game is ultimately going to be judging your numbers. You look at Bruno Fernandes now at the minute, people are calling him a stat padder or Mo Salah or whatever, but ultimately their game is judging their numbers, how many goals, how many assists. And he was like, listen to me, as soon as you're anywhere around the box, shoot, just be selfish. And that's that's stuck with me now. Well, I mean, it was a it was a great plan. That's a really sound piece of advice because you're right. Mm. I mean, if a if a striker's not scoring or putting out numbers, they're getting a lot of stick, that's right? The and thing, they're yeah. usually chopped and changed. And it's the hardest position. It's that final mm. third, right? That's where mm. that's where goals wins games. And yeah, it sounds like a good piece of advice. You talked about him being a Champions League winner. I've got a little bit of a trivia question for you here. Oh, here a bit of research myself. He's one of two Australian Champions League winners. Who is the other one? I can give you some tips if you want. I can give you some tips because it's not an easy answer. I mean, should be surprise. Chelsea? Was he? Wasn't there. Australian, Australian. Faduka didn't win it anyway, did he? Faduka? No. 
I don't know. You're gonna have to give me a clue with this. I ain't got a clue. I'll give, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a couple of clues. Go on. It was in the 06 07 season that he won the Champions League. That's Milan, then, isn't it? AC Milan. It is Milan. Yeah. It is your yeah. Good knowledge. And he was also a goalkeeper. <laughs> Apart from Schwartz, I don't know who's the other Australian keeper. He couldn't have. No, it was like what's his name? Dida. He was starting at the time, so he must have been a sub. Mm-hmm. The oh, only reason oh, I knew. Yeah. yeah. What's uh, oh, his surname? He's on Sky Sports now. Oh, it's like oh, Bosn. No, not Bosn. Bosnich, something like that. Bosnich. It's not Bosnich, but oh, it's another Australian <laughs> goalkeeper. <laughs> God, you're going to have to get um, it to me. I ain't got it. I'll tell you. All right. Zelchko Kalic. Oh, I've, I've never even heard of him. I've butchered the name. I've butchered the name, I'm sure. <laughs> I've but... never even heard of him. I thought I had it with Bosnich. Oh. The only reason I knew him was because I'm an Arsenal fan. Yeah. When we won at Milan at the San Siro in 2008, he was in goal. I don't know if you remember the game. Fabregas <laughs> scored a screamer from about 30 yards out. Right. Um, and he was in goal. He should have saved that shot, to be fair. But I was doing a bit of research on the pod anyway, and Harry Kuehl came up, and I was like, is he the only Australian Champions League winner or what? And uh, <laughs> Apparently not. So there you go. You've heard with that one, but that was a tough question. God, I would have done well to have got, to have got that one. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a good answer. Um, let me talk to you about Watford a little bit more. So in the last 10 years, I did a bit of research, and they've had 16 different managers or head coaches in yep. since 2010. I mean, it, every club works differently. Look at like a club like Chelsea. They have a high turnover of managers. They've done it this season with a club legend in Frank Lampard. They've been really successful in their in their approach. And you could say Watford have been very successful in the last 10 years. They've had, I think, five seasons in a row in the Premier League, FA Cup final. I mean, we won't talk about the result um, from that point of view. But does that impact and filter down to the under-23s in the academy? Or is that very separate like that first team kind of coach, I guess, head coach, is that very separate to the rest of the club? Tell me a little bit about that. Do you think that makes it harder for younger players to break into that first team? It's, it's a difficult one because, obviously, the, the decision's completely up to the owners and then, you know, they, they've got it right the past few years because, obviously, we got to the final of the FA Cup. We were staying in the Premier League, which was probably our aim for the past five, six years up until this season. So you can't really argue with that side of things. But it, to be honest, it just, it just makes you hungry as a young player. Each time you see a, a new manager come in, you want to be, right, let me get trained with them. Let me go get impressed on the new manager. And it can be difficult if, if one manager goes out the door, then I suppose you have to start again from scratch, possibly. Yeah. But no, to, to be honest, I just find it more motivating to, to try and improve my game further and further to, to impress more and more people, really. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's kind of the way the modern game's going anyway. That's the it? thing, yeah. You look at Chelsea as well for Bramovich as... It's the, it's the way the modern game is. You, you don't really get managers like Fergie and Wenger anymore who are going to you know, build dynasties at, at clubs. You, they're chopping and changing all the time, aren't they? I think it's so intense now. The job of a manager or a head coach at a big club, the scrutiny you're under all the time mm. from media, social media, obviously your owners, there's so much money involved. Yeah. Ultimately, when results go wrong, it's always the manager who, who pays the price, right? And I think that's why, you know, it is really difficult for, for young players coming through at the minute because the managers know that they're not going to be given, you know, years and years and years. They've got to get it right instantly because their job's on the line. So I think they might, not Watford, but in every club across the spectrum, getting more experienced players in instead of, you know, may, maybe looking to the youth is seen as maybe a more risky thing to do. Yeah, 
And kind of on that topic, I mean, you've spoken about your loan spells at St Albans and more recently you were at Bromley. What are those kind of the biggest differences? I mean, you you talked about earlier about that jump from under 23 football to first team mm. football being the biggest and the hardest, mm. I guess. What are those differences like? I mean, the experience of going to these lower league clubs and, and getting more game time playing with men and, and getting those, mm. those minutes under your belt. You, you hear pundits on TV and ex-pros and everyone saying it, you know, men's football is a lot more beneficial to you than, than under-23s football. And, you know, it's, it's definitely the case. I know that firsthand jumping from under-23s, going from there to Conference South with St Albans first, you know, so much more physical. You've got people's jobs on the line. You, you're just doing everything basically to get the three points, no matter how you play. The main thing about academy football is, you know, you get told the, the scoreline doesn't really matter. It's how you play. And if you're not really getting results, but you're playing well and you're trying to play out from the back, that's all right. But as soon as you jump into that men's environment where, you know, people's jobs and their livelihoods are on the line, that's where, you know, you see how much more it means and just about getting over the line and getting the three points no matter how you play. And that's the main difference, how much more it means to people. Would you say it sounds like the standard between under-23s and those lower leagues is pretty similar maybe, but the intensity is, is like turn up? That's exactly it, yeah. People might turn their noses up sometimes and say, why are you dropping down so low? But you're not dropping down. You're not a first-team player in, in the Premier League. You're an under-23s player going down to them leagues. Yeah. So it's a step up. It's not a step down. Yeah, that's a ni- I mean, that's a nice way to look at it. And I think mm. there's a lot of ego sometimes involved in football. That's and, exactly it, yeah what league you're in, what division. But, I mean, all the, all the top pros, and I think about, when I think about the English golden generation that we that we had not so long ago, and you talk about players like David Beckham going on loan, you talk about John Terry going on loan. Mm. They all went, dropped down to those lower leagues, cut their teeth, did the hard yards, I guess you could put it, mm. and built up from there. And they all talk about how that experience made them stronger. So, exactly. so kudos to you. And mm. I know that you were at Bromley. Would you ever consider going abroad? Because... I'm not saying going on a full transfer or anything like that, but if the opportunity arose, I mean, a lot of younger talents now are going to Germany. Bundesliga is somewhere where you've got, obviously, Sancho, you've got Bellingham, you've got, I think, Omar Richards this week has just gone from Reading to Bayern. The Bundesliga seems to be a league which really allows young talent to kind of get those first-team minutes and and gives them the opportunity, which is is so rarely afforded in in our game. Do you think that's something that you would consider? I mean, Mm. maybe hard to answer, I'm not sure. So Jalen Sancho paved the way brilliantly for, obviously, for the young talent going out there. But before that, it never really crossed my mind. But ever since he did pave the way and you see other young English players, you know, following in his footsteps, it's definitely occurred on my mind. And I'm not against it at all going. It's just you got to weigh up whether, you know, whether you're going to play, basically. It's, it's all about that. There's no point going out there and not playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as long as you're going out there and playing, definitely, I think it can be a, it can be a massive you know, bow in your, what do you call it, bow in? <laughs> String to your bow. That's the one, that's the one. <laughs> String to your bow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you're right. For every like Sancho and Bellingham and stuff like that, I'm sure there's a, a caseload of, of talents who have gone out abroad but, and not really not really succeeded, you right? You only, you only hear about the success stories. There'll be loads and loads of players out there, who, English players who go out there and, and you know, don't make it and don't uh, progress out there. So that's, that's just mm-hmm. what you've got to weigh up. So talk to me a little bit about Bromley a little bit more. You went there, when when did you join? So I joined start of this season and we started off a bit late. So I think it was September time, end of September when I went out there. And you had obviously experience in playing with no crowds versus like um, full capacity crowds and stuff. What's, what's like the biggest difference in terms of that? Going from under-23s football, to be fair, you don't really get huge, huge crowds uh, at under-23s. So it wasn't... 
too alien going to a men's footwind and playing without crowds, but so much better with the crowds there, definitely. Because we had a little bit of it when the restrictions were eased in just before Christmas time when the fans were allowed back. And although it was only a thousand, one or two thousand fans that were allowed back initially, you know, the difference is huge, like what it does for you as a team and just the buzz around the place and the bounce when there's fans there. Does it impact your game, do you think? Like, I mean, you see so many like away teams winning in the Premier League and yeah, stuff this year yeah. with no with no fans. Like, how does it impact you as a person, like an individual? Obviously, if you're a goal down and the crowd's there giving you that lift, talk to me a little bit about that buzz that you can get maybe when you score a goal in front of a couple of thousand people. That's the thing. It has a massive impact. And it's just, you know, people always talk about playing at home and it being the 12th man. And you never, I suppose you take it for granted, but as soon as they're away, you, you really do feel it. I don't know, maybe that's what's going on with Liverpool this season as well, because obviously Anfield, you know, the effect of their crowd there is probably, you know, the biggest in, in Europe. For me personally as well, playing in front of fans and they're all cheering you on, there's no better feeling when fans singing your name and, and cheering you on and wishing you on to win yeah I mean I can't speak from experience the biggest crowd I've played in front of I think was the West London Cup at <laughs> Loftus Road for Cardinal Vaughan I think there's probably about 200 people there which uh, I came off the bench for 20 minutes ago and uh, made more tackles and, than passes but got the win anyway so that's all that matters talking about Bromley that period has been cut short a little bit because of injury do you want to tell Just us a little, a little bit, bit about that and kind of how you're coping with that injury and yeah talk around that a little bit yeah, so to be fair, the season as a whole has been really stop-start with the COVID. So yeah, started the season well and then COVID hits at a few times where you're about to play a team and then you hear that a few of their players have contracted it so you can't play the game and you've got to self-isolate for a couple of weeks and then, yeah, it's a stop-start in that regard. And then frustratingly, it was a couple of weeks ago now where I tore my hamstring. How does it look like the next couple of months for you? Just rest initially and then getting in the gym and, you know, beasting it and just getting my hamstrings absolutely bulletproof, basically. Going to do me for the next couple of months anyway. You'll have to be hitting a lot of lunges, mate. A lot of lunges and a lot of squats, <laughs> I think, in the next couple of months. That's but, the um, one. I kind of draw a few similarities. I want to kind of draw some similarities because last year I worked in an advertising firm which predominantly sells out-of-home advertising, so like billboards and digital screens and stuff like that. Obviously, with lockdowns and the pandemic heavily impacted our business, and I've been on furlough off and on for the best part of coming up to a year now, which is just crazy. Yeah. For me, those feelings of frustration and like something out of your control, wanting to contribute and wanting to help but not being able to, it brings up a lot of feelings of frustration and uncertainty. And I can imagine there's pretty similar ones. And when you find out about an injury, you're kind of cooped up. Like, oh, I want to get out on the pitch. You want to just do the job that you get paid to do, right? So I wanted to know, like, what's that kind of contact with your physio teams and I don't know, like sports psychologists or anything like that? How much contact do you have and like support from the club during an injury process like that? The injury took place when I was obviously on loan to Bromley just recently. They've been unbelievable with it. You know, all, all the boys showing so much support for me and, and the manager and the owner and, and all the coaching staff and everyone at the club basically was wishing me well. We're in touch on a regular basis, checking in with me and just making sure that I'm, I'm in a really good place mentally to deal with the injury. So they've been brilliant. And, and Watford as well, my parent club, who I've gone back to now, they've been you know equally as brilliant in the sense that they've set up uh, Zoom sessions with me with a sports psychologist who I speak to regularly just to check that I'm in the right mental place, which I am, luckily. And you know, I think the main one as well is just my family. Obviously, when, when I found out the news, I wasn't in the greatest of places, but coming home to speak to my family, they really helped bring on the uh, positive outlook on it. That's, that's it's great to hear and obviously wishing you a speedy recovery as well in the next couple of months. Looking forward to seeing you back out on the pitch. We're coming towards kind of the end of the pod now, but I've got a couple of quick fire questions I wanted to ask you. Here we go. Um, first up, 
Who's the best player you've ever played with? Jadon Sancho. Yeah, played with him. <laughs> don't really get too too much better than that. Played with him, yeah. obviously, before he went to Man City, he was at Watford, and I played with him for, for yes. five or six years in the same age group. And he was, mm-hmm. he was just unbelievable, yeah. Was he like a cut above? Like you could tell from that yeah. age he was something really special? Yeah, he was, all, he was always playing a couple of age groups up and, and whatnot. But it just, just seeing him in training and playing with him in matches, you could tell that he... He, he was just different to everyone else. The way he could dribble past players so effortlessly and just go <laughs> turn around and then dribble past them again just because he wanted to. Just stuff like that, yeah. Unbelievable player. He's a special He's talent. talent. I probably haven't seen, seen as much of him as I'd like to. But when, when you, you just look at his stats, I mean, his goal and assist. That's the thing. Going, going back to what I was talking about earlier, he's unbelievable on the ball, dribbling past players. But ultimately, what he's going to get judged on is what he produces, goals and assist-wise. And he is absolutely flying, so can't yeah. argue with that. Does he start at the Euros for you? Hundred percent. I, I don't think there's any question for me that he that he's starting. He's one of the first names on the team sheet. Who are you dropping out that front three? Are you playing a front three? I'm playing. <laughs> here we go. I'm playing Rashford on the left, Kane up top, Sancho on the right. No Sterling. I know. It pains me to say it, but I'm going to have to have Sterling coming on. Jack Grealish playing in the ten. You're you're, you're ruffling feathers here, mate. You're ruffling feathers. <laughs> I'll move on. I'll move on. Um, who's the best player you've ever played against? Uh, played against for me daily blint to be fair when I was with the first team in pre-season a couple of is it last year or the year before I played against Ajax and that they were the semi-finalists the year before in the Champions League playing against them like daily blind Donny van der Beek Dusan Tadic mm-hmm. unbelievable players I mean that Ajax team was a real joy to watch yeah. I remember being in a pub when they got knocked out to Spurs in the last yeah. minute I was absolutely devastated. I mean, if there's any Spurs fans out there, I'm probably getting a hell of, hell of a lot of abuse now, but absolutely devastated. Yeah. Then Frankie De Jong in there as well at the time. It's just a shame it just got completely you know, dissected yeah. by, the, by the bigger teams. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be their model though, doesn't it? It's like build up from young and the, and the youth kind of adding a little bit here yeah, and there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll be back again because they're, they're a really great club. Mm. Next question I wanted to ask, I don't know if you're a Football Manager fan. Um, right. Or you might have been in the past. I, know, I'm, I think I'm, I remember. I'm a FIFA fan, to be fair, but we, we, we'll see. We'll see. I was going to ask if you know your highest and lowest rated attributes on Football Manager. Oh, here we go. To be fair, <laughs> I don't play Football Manager, but my mates have sent me, you know, little screenshots in the past, just laughing about a couple of stats here <laughs> and there, but. I remember being a bit disappointed with a few of them. I was going to send you a screenshot of it, but I thought I'd leave it for the element of surprise. On the pod. <laughs> I think in my game in real life, my speed's definitely my, my biggest asset. So I don't know if that would be as well. It was close. I'll tell you, your highest rated attribute was your leadership. Oh, really? Would you I'll agree? Take that. That you... I'll take that. <laughs> leadership. You were you were given you were given a thirteen. You're a young talent still coming through, so yeah. I'm sure these are going to go right up in the next oh, couple yeah. of years. Oh, too. Yeah. So you could be a new captain leader legend. And then your lowest attribute? Heading? Strength, six. You need to get uh, down and do these squats. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. To be, well, you need to go over, over the next go. three months, I'll be improving that. Don't you worry about that. All right, I'm expecting 16, FM22. <laughs> um, two more little short questions here. You might have already answered this for the first one. Who do you think, I mean, England have got an amazing pool of talent coming through right now. Yeah. Who do you think the best English young talent is at the moment? I mean, I'm not going to cut it off by an age range. I'm just going to like right. whoever you think. Well, probably a little bit of bias there playing with him for a few years, but for me, it's got to be Jaden Sancho. He's the last three years, three four years, the numbers he's been producing at Dortmund is just no off the scales. I think it's only Messi who's who's producing the same output, goals and assist wise, 
anyway that he's producing. And for me, you can't look past him. But I don't know if Jack Grealish still falls in the young category. But this season, yeah, his, his numbers are exactly class. I don't think anyone's doubted him ability-wise over the past few years. But as I was saying, the output now that he's producing goals and assist-wise, that's just what's taking him to the next level. I mean, Those two he- definitely for me. Jaden, we've just spoke about Jack Grealish, what a player. I mean, great hair as well, great hair. hair. <laughs> um, but I'd absolutely love him at Arsenal, but I just don't think Arsenal are the kind of club who would go out and spend the money yeah. on him. Well, um, to be fair, talk about him. Look at Bakayo Saka, Emile Smith Rowe. I mean, Smith Rowe, I like him. I think he's really, really good. But Bakayo Saka for me is like, I've watched Arsenal for a long time now. In terms of the young talents coming up, I don't know if I've seen a better young talent. I mean, Wilshere, like, when he was coming through, was mm. really special. You could see yeah, that. It's a shame how his career kind of panned out with the injuries that yeah. he had. But if Saka keeps going, going the way he's playing, I think he's our most important player at the moment. That's the thing, um, yeah, yeah. Like, he's, at the minute, you wouldn't talk about him being a talent because he is at the pinnacle now at Arsenal. He's the he's best the, player, definitely. He's, he's the first name on the team sheet for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, he really gets me excited. Kind of got us through the last leg in the Europa as well. But yeah, nearly done now. Last one I wanted to ask. Well, penultimate question, actually. Are England going to win the Euros? If not, who is? Yes, England are going to win the Euros. I mean, we, we, build, we build them up every major tournament. Everyone saying yes before the tournament and all, all of this. But listen, I think, I think they are. The, the talent coming yeah. through at the minute, you know, and the established pros like Kane, Henderson, as long as he's fit. But mm-hmm. now nah, you've got to, you've got to back England, surely. The only concern I've got is, is the centre-backs. I know, they're, I know, they're... I know, yeah. Centre-backs and the goalkeeper, just, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about them. Everywhere else on the pitch, yeah. I think we go we go up against anyone. My dark horse, I don't know if you could call them a dark horse, but Portugal for me, look, oh, their squad is yeah, insane. Yeah. i just got a feeling that Portugal might do it. But I hope not. I hope I'm singing in the pub, uh, out in the sun, no restrictions, June That's 22nd it, England. What a summer that would be. Yes, we can hope, we can hope. So this is the final section. It's a section called How Sports Saved My Life. And it's kind of inspired by how sports and fitness helped me with my mental health after dad passed away. So now I'm going to ask you a life or death hypothetical situation. Right. So Harry, if you were lost in a jungle, which sports person would you want with you to help you survive? What a question that is, by the way. You know, I'm probably going to go Roy Keane. I'm Roy probably Keane. going to go Roy <laughs> Keane. Because I just know that he is... He is finding any, anything for us to eat. If worse comes to worse, he probably he probably <laughs> would eat me first. But yeah. he is, yeah. I, I think there's no one better. Maybe not conversation wise, but just for uh, just for uh, you know surviving, I think it's got to be him. I mean, that's a, that's an absolutely unbelievable answer. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought you might go for someone like Anthony Joshua or someone like that, but you've See, gone, I, you've I gone for Roy Keane. Position, I think he's just way more ruthless than AJ. I think he's finding anything for us to eat. Hey, what a fantastic pundit. I mean, I absolutely oh, love him. Him and Micah Richards, gold dust, gold dust. They've brought a lot of joy and humour into my life in the last <laughs> six to eight months during this lockdown. But yeah, I think that's a great answer, cracking answer. Roy Keane, fantastic captain, probably get you out of that situation in one yeah. piece. You might get a booking on the way out there, <laughs> you never know. But um, I think that's about it, Harry. Thanks so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. I'm kind of wishing you. Wishing you the best with the injury and hopefully a big Euros in the summer and a big return for you in, in, in September time. That's the plan. That's the plan. All right. Top man, mate. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.